0: Welcome to NTD Evening News. Our top story tonight, Israel asking Gaza residents to evacuate from areas previously deemed safe as the military pushes south. Meanwhile, the United Nations still doesn't label Hamas as a terrorist organization. Jason Perry with the latest on the war. Attacks on a U.S. warship fully enabled by Iran. Iris Tau has what the White House is saying about a U.S. response and the risk of spillover from the war in Gaza. Provoking the U.S. around the globe, Iran might also be involved in a South American conflict. Ariane Pastar spoke with a former State Department official what he says about an unholy alliance attacking the U.S. on multiple fronts. What's the extent of President Biden's involvement in his son's business dealings and when it comes to foreign cash flow? The House Oversight Committee continues to investigate, today releasing new evidence. Melina Wyskup on Capitol Hill. And the Justice Department says it's exposed to one of the highest reaching and longest lasting infiltrations of the U.S. government in history. A former U.S. ambassador is charged with spying for Cuba
1: this is NTD evening news live from our NTD global headquarters in New York City here is Tiffany Meyer
0: good evening and thank you for joining us tonight Israeli defense forces continue to strike Hamas terrorists even in the southern Gaza Strip and warning civilians before they do Meanwhile, Israeli officials are calling on the United Nations to recognize Hamas as a terrorist group. NTD's Jason Perry has the latest in a warning. This report contains content that some viewers may find disturbing.
2: Israel Defense Forces are now operating in the southern Gaza Strip. And along the way, they are calling for more Palestinians to evacuate. We're dropping leaflets with QR codes that opens a map guiding Gazans to safer areas. The map is divided into neighborhood numbers indicating where civilians in a specific area should go to avoid being in the crossfire. On Monday, some Gazans shared their frustration about the situation.
3: They forced us to leave our homes and brought us to the south. And then we are forced to leave Khan Yunus to hear. We have nothing to say except, God help us. Where shall we go? Where to go?
2: However, the IDF says the evacuations will only be temporary. On Sunday, the IDF reported that it had found over 800 tunnel access points and has destroyed 500 of them since the war began. Hamas terrorists are known to conduct terrorist attacks from these tunnel shafts, many of which are located near schools, mosques and playgrounds. The IDF said these findings are more proof that Hamas uses the civilian population as cover for its terrorist activity. Meanwhile, on Monday, an Israeli government spokesperson laid out some of Israel's goals in its war against Hamas. De-radicalization. To ensure that the next
4: generation of Palestinian children are not brought up on the same diet of jihad and martyrdom
2: as they have been in schools in the Gaza Strip, including those run by UNRWA. We reached out to UNRWA, which is the United Nations Relief Works Agency, for comment but didn't hear back before airtime. Also on Monday, Israel's ambassador held an event at the United Nations to expose the sexual violence that took place during the Hamas terrorist attack on October 7th. Please be warned that the following accounts are graphic. During the event, an Israeli national police officer showed interviews with a survivor and a first responder. the <laughs> The United Nations does not recognize Hamas as a terrorist organization, and the speakers are calling for the U.N. to do so. Also, the U.N. hasn't recognized the sexual violence committed on October 7th. The speakers are calling on the U.N. to recognize that as well. Jason Perry, NTD News.
0: Iran is fueling attacks on commercial ships in the Red Sea, according to the White House. But the U.S. is holding off on retaliating, saying it needs to talk with other countries. NTT's White
5: House correspondent Iris Tao has more. The Pentagon says that a U.S. Navy warship shot down three drones in the Red Sea on Sunday as the U.S. warship itself and three other commercial ships nearby were under attack. The White House saying today that while Houthi rebels in Yemen were the ones directly carrying out the attacks, the Iranian regime was the ultimate culprit. Watch.
6: We are talking about the Houthis here. They're the ones with their finger on the trigger. But that gun... The weapons here are being supplied by Iran, and Iran, we believe, is the ultimate party responsible.
5: The White House says that the U.S. will take appropriate actions to respond, but will have to first consult with international partners as the ships under attack were actually connected to 14 different countries. One option, though, the White House says is to create an international maritime task force to better protect shipping in the region. But the latest attacks, however, do still mark another escalation in tit-for-tat attacks between the U.S. forces and Iranian-backed militants. The White House insists that it is taking steps to prevent the war in Gaza from including by sending two U.S. and carrier strike groups to the Middle East. But it was still questioned today on why incidents like this can keep happening despite all the warning. And when it comes to the war in Ukraine, the White House today sent a letter to Congress urging it to pass additional aid for Ukraine, saying, quote, we're out of money and nearly out of time. Meanwhile, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan positioning it as this. at the briefing today. Watch.
4: A vote against
6: supplemental funding for Ukraine will hurt Ukraine and help Russia. It will hurt democracy and help dictators.
5: The Republican House Speaker Mike Johnson rejected the White House's plea today by saying that the White House has failed to address any concerns over the lack of a clear strategy in Ukraine, as well as over accountability for money to Ukraine, which is provided by U.S. taxpayers. Back to you.
0: Over to another conflict where the Iranian regime might be involved. In South America, Venezuela seems to be getting ready to invade neighboring Guyana. With Iran backing Venezuela and the US backing Guyana, are we a step closer to an escalating global conflict?
7: NTD's Aryan
0: Postar explores the issue.
7: Venezuelans on Sunday voted to claim sovereignty over a disputed territory in neighboring Guyana. This comes amid speculations Venezuela might invade Guyana for its oil and minerals.
1: Today, the people spoke hard, loud and clear. And we are going to start a new powerful stage because we carry the mandate of the people. We carry the voice of the people.
7: Guyana considers the referendum a step toward annexation. Sunday's vote has its residents and the world on edge. Just last week, U.S. troops trained the military of Guyana.
4: We're already in World War III, we just don't know it yet. We're, we're fighting on every front, and Americans
7: have no idea what's going on. Bart Markoy is a former State Department official. He says the U.S. is facing multiple fronts at the same time. Now Markoy explains his statement by saying the U.S. is currently fighting infiltration from other nations, which are trying to destroy the U.S. from within. For example, just on Monday, a former U.S. diplomat was charged with allegedly spying for Cuba over multiple decades. Markoy says there are multiple nations using such infiltration tactics trying to sabotage the U.S. Take a look. Cuba is the
4: director, Venezuela is the funder, Iran is the one that also funds it and supplies weapons and tactical and strategic advice. It's an unholy alliance between all of them, with Russia and China sitting in the back saying, yeah, you guys go on, you're doing great.
7: He went on to say that Iran is currently provoking regional conflicts around the world, backing Hamas in Israel, the Houthis in Yemen, and socialists in South America, all with the goal to go against the United States.
4: Iran definitely wants World War III. They're trying to undo the whole worldwide system put in place after the end of World War II when the United States and Europe got together and formed NATO. They formed the Organization of American States, the OAS. Iran, Russia, China, Venezuela and Cuba are working in concert to undo that entire system."
7: Meanwhile, the president of Guyana is asking Venezuela to show maturity and responsibility after the Sunday vote. Ariane Pastar, NTD News.
0: Former President Trump's lawyers want New York Supreme Court to review the gag order in the civil fraud trial. The order blocks Trump and others from making public statements about courtroom staff. Attorneys for Trump filed an application today to allow them to appeal the resumption of the gag order. In New York appeals court judge initially paused the gag order last month, but then a full panel of judges reinstated it while the full appeal of the gag order remains pending. Today's court filing also asks the mid-level appeals court for an expedited decision on the original appeal of the gag order. Judge Arthur Ngoron, who oversees Trump's civil fraud trial, issued the gag order. He argued Trump's posts on social media threaten the safety of court staff. Trump's lawyers argued Trump has the right to make comments based on the First Amendment new evidence revealing President Biden's involvement in Hunter Biden's foreign business deals. A bank record showing an account with former Vice President Biden's name on it was set up to receive monthly payments entities. Melina Wisecup joins us from Capitol Hill with more.
8: The key here is that this money was not coming from Hunter Biden's personal account, but instead from his business account, one of those businesses by the name of Owasco PC. Now, these records indicate that President Biden, when he was then the former Vice President, signed to receive over $1,300 from this Owasco PC bank account, and he signed to receive that on a monthly basis. Aides on that Oversight Committee say they have evidence of at least three instances where that money was actually transferred to President Biden. Now, it's important to keep in mind that Hunter. Biden right now is under investigation for for using this entity, Owasco PC, to actually evade taxes. And another interesting point that's key here about this company is that this is one of the companies he used to receive millions of dollars from all over the world, including from Ukrainian energy company Verisma, as well as at least $1 million from a Chinese businessman by the name of Patrick Ho, who's since been sentenced for bribery and money laundering. Here's what the chairman of the Oversight Committee, James Comer, had to say when he released these records earlier today. This wasn't a payment from Hunter Biden's personal account, but an account for his corporation that received payments from China and other shady corners of the world. Now, remember, up until this point, the Oversight Committee has not been able to directly link President Biden to these foreign business deals of his son, Hunter Biden. So this is the first such record to indicate that now the House is gearing up to have a full floor vote on the impeachment inquiry into President Biden. That vote could take place as early as next week. Meanwhile, the White House is trying to brush off these allegations by claiming that this is only an effort on the part of Speaker Mike Johnson to, quote, throw red meat at the far right flank of the Republican. Party by trying to hold this impeachment inquiry vote. Now, as for an update on another impeachment effort on the part of House Republicans, well, they're moving forward with their effort to try to impeach DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Now, the chairman of the Homeland Security Committee, Mark Green, he's taking the lead on this, and he told me just recently they're planning to hold this full floor vote on the House floor by the end of this year. But now that pressure for Mark Green is on even more so after Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Green held two previous attempts to try to force a vote through a privileged motion to get him impe- although her last attempt to do so, she withdrew after she said she got assurances from leadership that they would soon be holding this vote to impeach the DHS secretary. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Melina Weiskopf, NTD News.
0: The race for the White House just got narrower. North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum today suspending his campaign for president. Burgum launched his campaign for the Republican nomination in June. He didn't qualify for last month's third debate and is also unlikely to qualify for this week's fourth debate in Alabama in a statement. Burgum says part of the reason why he ran was to quote reestablish trust in America's leadership and our institutions of democracy. Burgum also took a swipe at the Republican National Committee, saying their debate requirements are quote nationalizing the primary process. He went on to say none of the debate criteria, which include poll averages and number of donors, are qualifications for doing the job as president. Burgum did not endorse any other candidate as of yet. A former U.S. diplomat is charged with spying for Cuba. The 73-year-old Manuel Rocha served as ambassador to Bolivia from 2000 to 2002. Rocha was accused of acting as a covert agent of the Cuban government for over 40
3: years. The department has charged former U.S. Ambassador to Bolivia Victor Manuel Rocha with illegally acting as an agent of a foreign government. This action exposes one of the highest reaching and longest lasting infiltrations of the U.S. government by a foreign agent.
0: His diplomatic career spanned 25 years under both Democratic and Republican administrations, much of it in Latin America during the Cold War. He once held a diplomatic post in Cuba and also served as the top U.S. diplomat in Argentina. Rocha is a naturalized U.S. citizen originally from Colombia. He'll remain in custody until at least his pre-trial detention hearing, which is set for Wednesday afternoon. Joining us now to discuss the charges against the former U.S. ambassador, we have Epic Times contributor Trevor Loudon. He has been researching communist movements and infiltration campaigns for decades, and is the author of multiple books, including The Enemies Within. Trevor Loudon, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show.
9: Always a pleasure. Thanks so much.
0: Trevor, to begin, a former U.S. ambassador has been charged with spying for Cuba for over 40 years. What's your reaction to this? Is this something new or something maybe more widespread than we might think?
9: I think this is the tip of the iceberg. You know, this guy, uh, Victor Manuel Roca, was uh, been working at top levels in the U.S. State Department for 40 years. He was actually director of Inter-American Affairs for the National Security Council, which gave him responsibility over Cuba and served as an ambassador to several um, Latin American nations, all the while working for Cuba and, in his own words, defending the Cuban Revolution. This is his words. So you can guarantee he'll have a left-wing background. They just released from jail Anna Montez, who was serving for served twenty years in jail for working for the um, Cubans while serving as the the top Cuban expert in the in the defence intelligence agency? She had an extensive left wing background. These things were not picked up because they don't care about these things anymore. So you'll find, I think, there will probably be hundreds of similar people in various agencies who are recruited um, because they're sympathetic to our enemies.
0: Now, on that point, you've said before that, quote, every country in the West has been infiltrated by foreign agents, including from countries such as China, Russia, and Iran. What is their strategy when it comes to spying in the US?
9: Well, it's, it's spying it's stealing secrets, and it's influencing policy. That's really the more dangerous, you know. Uh, stealing secrets is one thing, but when you get the uh, the government to to enact policies favourable to your enemy, that that's how China went communist because we had so many communists in the U.S. State Department who pressured the U.S. government to defund Chiang Kai Shek, the nationalist, which enabled the communists to take over. We saw the same thing happen with the Cuban Revolution. Um, so. You know, right now we've got, uh, you know, Bob Menendez, the uh, senator from New Jersey, um, being investigated for influence peddling on behalf of Egypt. We just had a big Iranian spy network um, uncovered in Washington, and this this, um, network was, was connected to Robert Malley. Who was kicked out of the Obama administration for dealing with Hamas? Who's now it was then reinstated in the in the Biden administration, and is connected to a, an Iranian influence operation in, in Washington, which is why we have an Iran nuclear deal, for instance. So, look, if you were an enemy of America, like say Xi Jinping, would you want to get into a big trade war with America? Or would you want to get into a big shooting war before you are ready? Or would you rather spend a few billion dollars buying American congressmen, senators, uh, ambassadors, public servants to do your bidding? What would be the best return on investment, do you think? Because America's national security and internal security is worse than useless right now.
0: And given what we are seeing, how do we counter this infiltration and, as you mentioned, influence?
9: Well, look, we have a Foreign Agents Registration Act, which is not enforced. Most of these people could be caught, or many of them could be caught or deterred by enforcing that. They don't enforce loyalty oaths anymore. They also, in in the White House and in the Senate and the Congress, and much of the the uh, American government now, there is no, um, there's no background checks, virtually. People think, well, you know, I had to get a background check because I wanted to work as, as for a US military contractor. So they think people on the Armed Services Committee would have to have a background check. But no, they don't. So the Iranians, the Chinese, the um, Cubans are exploiting, they can drive a truck through America's national, you know, faulty national security right now. All that has to be tightened up, and there has to be severe prosecutions. Eric Swalwell was allowed to remain on the Intelligence Committee after being caught sleeping with a Chinese agent. Dianne Feinstein had a, had a, a Chinese spy in her office for 20 years. He wasn't punished, and neither was she. She was allowed to remain as chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee. So this is what I'm getting at. Um, We have to have a complete overhaul of internal security.
0: Quite concerning indeed. Trevor Loudon, thank you so much for your time.
9: You're very welcome.
0: Coming up, controversial comments from the president of the UN Climate Change Conference. What he and others say about the science or lack of it behind climate change models. And increased solar activity means the northern lights could reach further south, and minor tech disruptions could be on the horizon. Details on this and more when we come back. Welcome back. Just before this year's UN Climate Change Conference, its president and keynote speaker said there's no science behind a phase-out of fossil fuel, drawing condemnation from Al Gore. Entity's Jack Bradley shows us what's happening at the conference, known as COP28, and dives a bit into climate science.
10: There is some confusion out there.
6: COP28 President Sultan Ahmed Al-Jaber said there's no science that shows the world needs to get rid of fossil fuels to reach the U.N.'s current climate change goals. He suggested that doing so would take the world back into caves, sparking controversy and criticism. COP28 is the 28th annual United Nations climate meeting, where world governments discuss climate change. Al-Jaber is the head of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company. He defended his remarks today.
1: I'm an engineer by background. It's the science and my respect to the science and my passion about the science and it's about my conviction to the science that have enabled me to progress in my career.
6: But climate activist Al Gore was not happy.
1: The oil and gas industry made
6: a mistake in overreaching and naming the CEO of one of the largest and one of the dirtiest by many measures oil companies in the world as the president of the COP. Gore says people are surprised and offended by Al Jaber's appointment. Al Jaber was appointed by representatives from different countries. Many say he understands the world of renewables and fossil fuels, which makes him qualified to lead. Al Jaber today insisted that his remarks had been taken out of context, and that he believed the phase out of fossil fuels is both inevitable
1: and essential. I'm
11: quite surprised
1: with the constant and repeated attempts to undermine the work of the COP28 presidency. Despite the controversy,
6: not all scientists believe that there's a climate crisis.
1: Clouds reflect. 90% of the sunlight that hits them gets reflected back out into space, where it no longer comes to the Earth, no longer heats the Earth.
6: Physicist John Clauser won the Nobel Prize in 2022. He's one of two Nobel laureates who joined 1,600 other scientists to sign the World Climate Declaration that there is no climate emergency. Clouser says fluctuation in cloud cover of the Earth causes a sunlight reflectivity thermostat that controls the climate and stabilizes it very powerfully.
1: This is clearly the most important, the controlling uh, mechanism for the earth's temperature and, and climate, and it dwarfs the effect of CO2 and methane. All the government programs that are designed to uh, limit CO2 and methane should be immediately uh, dropped.
6: Klauser says governments are spending trillions on studying climate change when they don't need to. He says climate change is a fabrication created by politicians, journalists, and business people. Jack Bradley, NTD News.
0: Should a wealthy family be shielded from future lawsuits despite their alleged role in the deadly opioid crisis? That's the question the U.S. Supreme Court grappled with today as the justices hear arguments about whether to approve Purdue Pharma's controversial bankruptcy
10: plan. The U.S. Supreme Court on Monday grappled with the controversial bankruptcy settlement for Purdue Pharma, the maker of prescription painkiller OxyContin. And the justices appeared torn over whether the wealthy Sackler family owners should be shielded from future lawsuits. Under the settlement, Purdue's owners would receive immunity in exchange for paying up to $6 billion to settle thousands of lawsuits filed by states, hospitals, people who'd become addicted, and others who have sued the company over misleading marketing of the powerful pain medication. The justices were scrutinizing a challenge to that settlement by the Justice Department, which argued the bankruptcy agreement should not protect the Sacklers. But some members of the U.S. Supreme Court on Monday seemed skeptical. Here's Associate Justice Brett Kavanaugh.
11: The opioid victims and their families overwhelmingly approve this plan uh, because they think it will ensure prompt pay- payment. So in those circumstances, those narrow circumstances, bankruptcy courts for 30 years have been approving uh, plans like this.
10: But other justices seemed wary of extending protections to the Sacklers under bankruptcy law. Here's Associate Justice Elena Kagan. In some ways,
0: they're getting uh, a better deal than the usual bankruptcy discharge because, as Justice Gorsuch uh, indicated, they're being protected from claims of fraud
10: and claims of willful misconduct. Lawsuits against Purdue and Sackler family members accuse them of fueling the opioid epidemic through deceptive marketing of its pain medication. The epidemic has caused more than a half million U.S. overdose deaths over more than two decades.
2: I want to express my family's deep sadness about the opioid crisis.
10: Members of the Sackler family have denied wrongdoing. Here is David Sackler testifying to Congress in 2020.
2: Far too many lives have been destroyed by addiction and abuse of opioids, including OxyContin.
10: The Sacklers have seen their family name removed from major museums as outcry against them built.
2: I think I can make this the biggest drug in the world.
10: And watched themselves portrayed as villains in TV dramas such as Dopesick about the epidemic. They were all little slaps on the wrist with little financial fines. The notion of shielding the family from liability is an affront to Rebecca Finnerty, who said her son died as a result of opioid addiction. It's ridiculous that they profited off the deaths of our children and are walking away with that. Purdue estimates that its bankruptcy settlement, approved by a U.S. bankruptcy judge in 2020, would provide $10 billion in value to its creditors, including state and local governments, individual victims of addiction, hospitals, and others who have sued the company.
0: The remains of five more crew members have been found in the u.s military aircraft crash in japan an investigation is underway now that the wreck has been found one person was found when the crash occurred near yakushima island in western japan last wednesday two others are still unaccounted for The cause is under investigation, and the Japanese government wants all V-22 Osprey aircraft grounded until they are deemed safe. A total of eight people were on board the plane. None of their identities have been released. Earth braces for increased sun activity and possible displays of the northern lights. Some minor tech disruptions are also on the horizon. NTD's Stephanie Sakal reports.
12: The Space Weather Prediction Center issued a warning about magnetic storms for Monday and Tuesday. These are caused by a fast stream from a hole in the sun's outer layer, creating what we see as northern lights. Auroras appeared in southern Nevada, Minnesota and Wisconsin on December 1st and 2nd, and even in some regions that have never witnessed auroras before. However, just as excitement grew, the Meteorological Bureau issued a geomagnetic storm warning that seemed like there might be potential risks behind this beautiful spectacle. According to the National Weather Service, geomagnetic storms are caused by solar activity. When the sun erupts, coronal mass ejections occur. This can hurl hundreds of millions of tons of solar material rapidly towards Earth. The storm could affect things like GPS, radio and communication signals, but it's not likely to cause any major problems. Stephanie Sikal, NTD News.
0: Coming up, a former U.S. Army microbiologist says we shouldn't trust the Chinese regime's narrative on their pneumonia outbreak. Find out what his take is instead. Stay tuned for more after the break here on NTD News. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some today's top headlines. Israeli forces expanded their military campaign further into the southern part of Gaza and asked residents to evacuate. And Israeli officials are urging the United Nations to designate Hamas as a terrorist organization. Federal authorities arrested former U.S. Ambassador Victor Manuel Rocha, accusing him of spying for Cuba for over 40 years. The Justice Department said this is one of the highest-reaching and longest-lasting infiltrations of the United States government by a foreign agent. A U.S. Navy warship shot down three drones in the Red Sea, fired by Houthi rebels backed by the Iranian regime. The White House says the U.S. will take appropriate action to respond to attacks against commercial ships in the region. The president of this year's U.N. Climate Conference said there's no science that shows the world needs to get rid of fossil fuels. His remarks, coming just before the COP28 conference, sparked backlash among climate activists we still don't know exactly what's happening with the spike in respiratory infections in China. What can countries do, given the lack of transparency coming from the Chinese regime? Joining us now to dive into the issue, we have Dr. Sean Lin, former U.S. Army microbiologist and scientific director of the Chinese Communist Party BioThreats Initiative. Dr. Sean Lin, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show.
11: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me.
0: To begin, China has been continuing to downplay this most recent outbreak of infections, citing routine winter spikes and common illnesses. How plausible is that explanation given the number of hospitals that are being overwhelmed across China?
11: Uh, definitely, their explanation cannot uh, solidify the current uh, outbreak situations in China, throughout China. Uh, so many hospitals are over-jammed. And right now, you even see people talking about, you know, have to wait in line for 13 hours just to, you know, get to see a doctor. Because in China, most of the parents, they know uh, they don't want to uh, take their case to the hospital if the children uh, can recover from the fever, maybe within, you know, three days at home. So those parents who bring the case to the hospital usually, the case has several days, long-lasting fevers, and they can no way to control it. so it's already progressed to severe symptoms. And so many of the children in the hospital, they have to do IV injections. They have to even put into uh, ICUs. And many of the medical treatment doesn't help. So I think the situation is very bad. And just the government's uh, explanation uh, that this is simply due to winter season's uh, respiratory pathogen uh, spike. I don't think it can explain it. Other regularly respiratory pathogens does not uh, cause such a severe lung infection. But now in China, you see it so often. So I think the government's explanation does not work.
0: And we don't know exactly what is causing off this yet. But you have said that the CCP, Chinese Communist Party, doesn't want the International Society to suspect that China is suffering another COVID-19 wave. What is at stake here for the Chinese regime?
11: I think the Chinese uh, Communist regime is doing something conflicting. On one hand, they uh, tell the public this is not due to COVID. But at the same time, on... Um, last weekend they approved three covid vaccines in one day and so basically you're telling people need to you know get vaccinated to to protect yourself against covid while you tell the public this is not due to covid so it's very uh, peculiar that they still um, don't want to uh, provide the public the statistics regarding how many children uh, severely infected and what's the cause of the pathogens and also how many kids are in ICUs and how many kids die actually eventually, right? So there are uh, uh, internet posts indicating the Chinese government uh, from the top down, from the leaders actually did not want the, uh, the hospital systems to talk about children got infected with COVID and probably even adults as well. The government's policy still is to cover up the COVID.
0: Now, you've also said that what we can learn from the pandemic is that, quote, we need to be very humble in front of the power of nature, adding the need to go beyond conventional public health perspectives to reflect, quote, what's wrong in society. Expand on this for us. What does that mean here?
11: I mean, even for the uh, the, during the COVID period, right, even from last winter to uh, this spring, the Chinese society suffered so much uh, from that outbreak after the Chinese cancelled the zero COVID policy. So little uh, Chinese medical doctors speak out against these cover-up of the data. Even now, we still also see uh, some the doctor mentioned that the Chinese government did not want them to test on COVID, did not want to write the cause of death uh, as uh, uh, COVID uh, on, on the patient's death, uh, death certificate. So, in a certain sense, many of the Chinese doctor in their systems become accomplices for the Chinese uh, communist regime. They cover the whole situation so that society is not well prepared for this wave of the uh, respiratory infection spike. And now uh, you know, people are only hoping maybe some young students raising the white papers in the white paper revolution. What about the most medical doctors and even medical doctors supporting the Chinese government in organ harvesting? how many medical doctors, you know, are engaged in uh, uh, government sanction, the organ harvesting practice, uh, right, taking innocent people's organs. And so I think, in this pro- process, the Chinese society, especially the Chinese medical society need to think about what kind of karma they have contributed, you know, you're supporting the, the uh, uh, even regime. And uh, that Killed so many innocent Chinese people in the last few decades. So that's why I said people need to think beyond just public health in Need to think about karma retribution. Why Chinese society suffers so much under Communist regime.
0: And given the lack of transparency around the data that does come out of China, how can international countries? get that data to make a truly informed decision rather than either citing mass panic unnecessarily or being blindsided by a global pandemic?
11: Uh, International society needed to have the courage to face the communist party or challenge the Chinese communist regime directly. You cannot just say, oh, give me data. That doesn't work. Need uh, Need to put pressure on the Chinese communist regime through diplomatic pressures and uh, demanding they providing the samples uh, to be tested by uh, international uh, public health experts. And nowadays the technology is right there. It's not 2003. You know, it's, it's not a SARS outbreak time. So uh, I think the international society just lack up the courage to defy the Communist Party lie. They don't have the courage to direct challenge the Communist Party. Feel like we may irritate the Communist Party or upset them, causing international crisis like that. But I think we need to change their perspective. You are doing things to help Chinese people as well, helping the whole world to understand the true nature of this outbreak. So I hope more uh, government leaders, uh, the leaders from international health organizations, can be more outspoken, putting pressure on the Communist Party.
0: Dr. Shanlin, thank you so much for your time.
11: Thank you very much.
0: Coming up, holiday shopping is in full swing and the nation's largest U.S. Postal Service facility is gearing up for a boom in packages with some new staff and tech. And in college football, some controversy with the playoffs. The field is finally set, but where's Florida State? NTD's Dave Martin joins us in the studio to discuss. That's coming up. Welcome back. The holiday season is the busiest time of the year, not only for shoppers and retailers, but also for the Postal Service. The largest postal facility in the U.S. is in Los Angeles, where they process upwards of a million packages a day. NTD's Eileen Eng has more on the Postal Service's Super Bowl.
3: It's the busiest shopping time of the year, and the nation's largest United States Postal Service processing and distribution facility is ready to kick off the holiday season. The distribution site has added a hundred employees to its workforce and has received new technology that will aid the speed and accuracy of around a million parcels that are expected to pass through the center each day.
2: And this is what we gear up for all year round, right? I mean, this is our Super Bowl. You know, this this is what we uh, this is what we got. This job.
3: Banks said he expects an increase in package processing compared to last year's peak season because online shopping has remained at the same level since the pandemic, while recent in-store shopping has also picked up.
2: Well, we expect to process upwards of a million packages a day. So to put that into perspective, last year we did about 25 million during our peak season. This year we we think we're going to hit about 30 million. We're really excited
5: about it.
3: Crews on the ground have already seen an increase in the volume of packages coming in.
5: Busy. Busy sums it up. Uh, We get a lot of mail every, every day. Every
8: time we come in here, it's mail everywhere. So that's mail we have to process um, on a day-to-day basis. So we're here 9, 10, 11 hours, maybe 12 or something.
3: Banks said new machines like the high output package sorter and the flexible rover sorter can process 2,000 packages an hour.
2: We usually see about a 25 to 30 percent increase in what we do every single day. So we've geared up for that 20 to 25 percent, 30 percent increase in volume by bringing on the extra help, by adding the extra machines to make sure that we have the capacity that when those packages start to come in, we're able to to, to, process them and get them distributed.
3: He recommends that customers ship their packages early. The last date for USPS delivery is December 23rd before they close for Christmas break.
0: And now for your sports news, we welcome NTD's Dave Martin. Dave, the final college football playoff rankings were released yesterday, but not without some controversy. They left out an undefeated Florida State squad in favor of a pair of one loss teams. Do you agree with their decision?
1: No. I mean, what else could they do besides win every game? Now, Grant, this is going to be a tough call no matter what. Uh, but this is the first time they left out an undefeated team from a power conference, and they definitely heard about it. You know, they said it was because of their star quarterback's injury, but they kept winning without him. I don't even understand why the committee had them fourth last week and then dropped them to fifth after they went out and won the ACC title. Now, I get that they had to put an SEC team in, Alabama, since they just beat Georgia. You know, SEC is the toughest conference. But once they put them in, I, felt, I think they felt like they had to put Texas in since Texas beat Bama earlier in the season. Michigan and Washington, they are undefeated too. They were shoe-ins. The c- committee clearly went with who they thought the best four teams were instead of maybe the most deserving. I didn't agree with it. I probably would have taken out Texas maybe, though that would have been difficult too
0: now next year the playoffs expand to 12 teams do you see the same problem happening with whoever the 12th team is
1: yeah but next year there's going to be six automatic bids or maybe five with the demise of the pac-12 and then the committee is going to decide the rest of them so there's going to be a clear path for every team if you go undefeated or you win your conference you're in the playoffs so whatever team is looking for that 12th spot already had a clear opportunity to make it and did it now this four-team playoff it means at least better than the two-team bcs that was before it but i think what happened yesterday was inevitable when you have four playoff spots five power conferences so i am looking forward to the new system
0: Now, looking at the pros, San Francisco beat Philadelphia yesterday in a matchup of two of the best teams in the NFC. Today, the 49ers are the new betting favorites to win the Super Bowl. What's your view on that?
1: I mean, yeah, it was not hard to be impressed with that. They won 42 to 19, and that was in Philadelphia. Now, the Eagles still have the best record, They haven't exactly been dominant. I will grant that they've probably had the most difficult schedule. There's actually still tied to the Chiefs for the second best uh, betting favorite for the Super Bowl. Amazingly, there are other losses to the New York Jets of all teams. Now, all this said, I mean, there's still like a third of the season left to go. So there's a lot to be sorted out still.
0: Now, shifting gears to golf, Tiger Woods made his return from injury this past weekend, finishing 18th at an event in the Bahamas. What's the consensus on how he looked?
1: I mean, I thought it was a good sign that he was able to do all 72 holes over the four-day event. Now, I also talked with James Ward, who is a senior editor at Golf Today, who he puts his comeback in a little bit more perspective. So we're going to play a clip here of what he told me. Yes, he came back. Yes, he finished 72 holes. But to believe that he's now, like, right back. Because I think the media has a tendency sometimes to jump on the comeback story. In order to come back, you have to come back. And it's more than just, I showed up, I played 72 holes, and now we're right back to where we were. I mean, Dave, keep this in mind. The Masters win in 2019 will be four years old by the next time we gather in Augusta, okay? That's a long time. He's 48 years old by the time of the Masters, and there's a lot of tread that's been taken off that tire since he was in his prime. Now, Woods hasn't announced when his next event would be. He did say he'd like to play once a month next season, so we'll have to wait and find out.
0: Well, Dave, as always, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tiff. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.